Would you pray with me again as we approach the word? Father, I ask that you would help me to proclaim your word accurately and clearly. That it would change our hearts. That it would fill us with your love and with your joy and with knowledge of the truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin a series after Easter on the book of 1 Timothy. And today, I want to talk about a life that was changed. Actually, a few lives that were changed. Uh, the, the guys in the quartet just sang a song that said, I believe that he changes lives today. And can I ask you, has he changed your life? Have you experienced the change that comes from knowing Jesus Christ? So I'm going to spend most of this message talking about a guy named the Apostle Paul and how he was changed from a persecutor to a preacher. You can't imagine a more radical conversion, a man who hates Christ and those who follow him to a man who loves Christ and wants everyone to follow him. But the question is, is that a story or a myth that happened a long time ago that has no relevance to our lives? or? Does God still do that today? So my text for this morning is found in the book of Acts. Acts is the book that tells the story of how the early church spread. And it's towards the end of the Bible. If you're, if you're opening your Bible, I love using the, the thumb search method. You just leaf through all of the pages. Try to find the, the, where it says the book of Acts at the top, A-C-T-S. If you reach Romans like I just did, you've gone too far. And we hear of Paul and his conversion story three times in this book because we read about it happening and then he tells about it happening two more times. And not only do we read about it three times in the book of Acts, Paul tells a fairly detailed account in the book of Galatians. And he mentions it again in the book of Philippians. And he describes how he is the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, how Christ appeared to him as one untimely born. So in several books of the New Testament, we have the telling of this story of a man who moved from being a persecutor to a preacher. But before I look at this story, I want to tell you about a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, I, I first read about her story in Christianity Today. Uh, she's written a couple of really great books. And I think she's helpful for a number of reasons. But listen to how she thought about Christians before she was a Christian. She said, the word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. She's an English professor, so she loves images like that. She said, no matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark to end it 
rather than deepen it. In other words, she's saying, when I talk to Christians, they would quote a verse, assume they were right, and that was the end of the conversation. I've been like that. She's not wrong. But here's where things get a little crazy. How many of you guys remember the Promise Keepers movement, especially large in the 90s? I know we actually, we had a group that still met at Villager 30 years later. Kenny Hall was part of that group. Daryl Berger was part of that group. When she watched this movement of men all across America making promises to step up, she hated it. And as a university professor, she wrote an op-ed in a widely published newspaper, and the reactions were almost equally polarizing. She said she had a tray on one side of her desk for fan mail and a tray on the other side of the desk for hate mail. And then she got a letter that she couldn't put in either tray. See, a pastor wrote her carefully and lovingly and asked her the kind of questions that she loved and respected as a university professor. He asked her questions like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And she realized for the first time, she didn't know. And she started to realize that she really needed to read the Bible for herself. Now, she had a lot of reasons for not wanting to become a Christian. She was living a life that was at odds with the teachings of Jesus. And yet, as she read the Bible, she began to be changed by it. And before long, she became friends with this pastor and his wife. And for two years, she had conversations that were curiously deep. And they traded books with each other. And they became good friends. And she began attending his church. And before long, she began to realize that she started to believe in this Jesus whose name used to get stuck in her throat like an elephant tusk. And today, she is a follower of the same Jesus that she used to despise. And what happened? Well, think for a second what Jesus said in our, in our scripture reading this morning. Jesus is talking to the apostles who have been with him for three years. They've heard him teach. In fact, they've preached the same message. They've been used by him in ministry to go tell other people about him. But until he opened their minds, they hadn't believed yet. They knew the details, they knew the facts, but their lives hadn't been completely changed until he did a work in them that opened their eyes and they believed and they worshipped him. Paul writes about his conversion as something that's so spectacular. In 1 Timothy, we're going to see, he says that he believes that God had mercy on him so that every sinner could have hope because Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. He is worse than the worst. And if God saved Paul, he can save me and he can save you. And it all starts with hearing the word of God and the miracle of of God opening your eyes and opening your mind to believe who he is and what he's done. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 26, where Paul tells this story. I mentioned you see and hear about it a few different times in the New Testament. One of the reasons I think Paul is so helpful and important is that he not only understands the scriptures and explains our salvation in great books like Romans. He not only discusses 
what the church should be like and, and how to help your church in First and Second Corinthians. He not only describes amazing theology in books like Ephesians, but in all of his letter writing and in all of his life, he demonstrates the kind of heart that I want to have. What do I mean by that? Well, I just started the book of Philippians in, in my daily devotions. And one of the things that he says to these people is how he longs for them and how he loves them. He is a man of deep affection. When you read the ending of his letters, you know, if you're someone who has read the Bible, those are the verses that we kind of skip over because there are lots of names that we don't know those people. But you know what those names tell you? Is that Paul loved people and cared about them and would mention them by name. That he remembered their names. Think about it for a second, okay? So, so you've probably heard of traveling speakers of different kinds. And in the church, it's not uncommon to have visiting preachers. Can you imagine a guy that visited your church once and then three years later wrote your church a letter and he could name Dick Lacey, or he could name Gail Carpenter, or any number of people that he had just met once. He's not just a good people person. He genuinely loved the people that he met. And sometimes he gets a reputation. He stands for the truth, and sometimes he's bold, and sometimes he's even accused of being harsh. Sometimes he's accused of being the sort of guy that you wouldn't want to be around. But that's not how the people in the New Testament felt. That's not how people like Priscilla and Aquila, husband-wife, that, that traveled around the ancient world with him, they loved this man. He had been changed by Jesus Christ. And if you read his letters, you get the sense that it wasn't just, you know what, all of a sudden I'm smarter and I know these things and so I had no choice but to agree. No, it wasn't that. It was a radical change that changed his personality so much so that he genuinely loved people. He's the kind of person I want to be like. So when people say, man, I want to go to that church because they're so full of people that genuinely care. It's not just they know the truth. It's that the truth has changed them. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you're like, but that they love you. This was true of Paul's life. Didn't matter if you were rich. Didn't matter if you were poor. One of my favorite books in the New Testament is this tiny little letter called Philemon. And Philemon tells the story of a runaway slave that met the apostle Paul. Now, to us, we would automatically assume you're going to help this poor guy because we love the underdog, and Paul does. But in the ancient world, he wouldn't have gone anywhere near him for so many reasons. He could have been accused of criminally helping a fugitive. The ancient world was not friendly to slaves. And yet Paul loved this man and called him a son. And he didn't just love the slave he wrote the letter and said I, I, to, to, uh, to Onesimus' owner, Philemon, and said, I, I want you to treat this man as your beloved brother in Christ. He's no longer your slave. And in that tiny little letter, he completely upends the institution of ancient slavery, but not in a way that destroys the dignity of the slave or the hope of salvation for the slave owner. He loves them both. Man, we're really good at picking sides. You can love one, you can love the other, but not both. Paul loved both. He wouldn't have fit well in our political system. He was the kind of man that had received grace from God 
And he believed that that grace made him a debtor to every other person. He wanted to share the goodness of God with everyone. And it's my prayer that you would have the same experience, that you would know the grace of God in your life so that you just want to bring people to Jesus. You want them to know the same Jesus that you know. You want them to experience his love, his forgiveness, his power, his peace. And so it begins with his story of Paul before he met Jesus. Paul before he met Jesus. So I'm looking at Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Paul is on trial right now. He's standing before a man named Agrippa. And so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And he said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all Jews. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Now, Paul is going to describe in a moment the exact gospel that he preaches. But what he's saying right now is that he caused controversy among his fellow Jews, whom he loved deeply, by proclaiming that he believed that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and that Jesus was the Messiah. And just like today, Jesus was polarizing back then, and many people hated him for preaching that message. In fact, they hated him so much, they were trying to have him killed. And so he's standing on trial, giving a defense. But from this little section where he describes his former life, I want to mention just a couple things. Number one, you would have called Paul a very good religious person before he met Jesus. You would have called him a very good religious moral person before he met Jesus. He was able to follow all the rules He had read the Bible and known the Bible. He had read it and known it so well, he could teach about it to other people. And yet, and yet, he didn't know the grace of God. See, he was trying to please God through his religious deeds. And many people try to do the same thing. You know, so often people say that religion just boils down to being a good person. Just do the right thing. Just be a good person. But you know what you find out the longer you try to do that? Is that it's really discouraging. Because you can't be the good person that you'd like to be. And if we're honest, we recognize that all of us have failed on that point. And Paul is a great example for us because he does it all better than we did. And in the book of Philippians, when he lists all the things that he's done, he says, you know what? I count it all. The the polite King James word is, he says, I count it all as dung. We would maybe use other words today. 
says, I count it all as crap compared to knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I look at all my list of long requirements. Today we would maybe say like being generous with the poor, maybe different types of social activism. Maybe we would say, you know, being part of a good church and, and attending faithfully. Maybe, maybe those are the good things that we think about. Maybe working hard would, would be on that list. And maybe you can check all those boxes and say, yeah, I've done all those things. But Paul says, you know what? When I look at the list of the things that I've done in my life, and it's a good list, none of it measures up to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. His good deeds and being able to follow the strictest form of the religion didn't give him hope. And so he says he's on trial for forsaking his own good accomplishments and embracing the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. That's one point from this little text I want to make. His hope is no longer in himself. His hope is now in Christ. The other point that I want to make is that like Paul, many people practice a form of religion that leaves Jesus out. He talks about, and this kind of surprised me as I was reading and studying this text, he talks about how earnestly and how fervently his fellow Jews worship God trying to attain hope night and day. It's in verse 7. He said, to which our 12 tribes, he's talking about the different groups of Israelites, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. But they worshiped without Christ. And so it was a hope that they never reached and never realized. And friends, I want to say to you today, if you are trying to have hope apart from Christ, you will never reach it or realize it. If you are trying to have hope without the hope of the resurrection of Jesus, you may try to look good on the outside and you may even check off some of the major things on your list that you want to accomplish. But without Jesus Christ, you will not have this kind of hope. So this is Paul before Jesus. Nothing in his life made him want to become a Christian. He knew about Jesus. He hated Jesus. And before he knew what happened, everything changed. So this is Paul before Jesus. Now I want to look at Paul meets Jesus. Paul meets Jesus. Look at verses 12 through 18 with me. Paul says, in this connection, excuse me, I'm sorry, starting verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in, op in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And it's in this connection, in persecuting believers in foreign cities, verse 12, he says, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Couple things. Paul, before Christ, hates Jesus and hates those who follow him. He is not trying to examine and weigh the evidence. He's trying to kill followers of Christ, and Jesus immediately stops him and changes his life forever. Jesus says that as he was hurting believers, he was actually persecuting Christ. And in his hatred for Christ, there was no hope for him of being saved, but God. And I don't know where you're at in your life, what you might be thinking about in terms of who Jesus is, or what he's done for you, or what you believe, or where you're looking for happiness or hope. Looking at the faces of people here, many of you are people who attend church, many of you are people who know the Bible. But the question is, has Jesus changed your life like this? And you might say, okay, most people don't have a vision of Jesus like this. And you're right. You're right. But do you know that's Jesus' design? When Jesus saved Paul, he didn't say, I'm going to do this for everyone who becomes a Christian. He said, your job is to preach the message. Your job is to go out and proclaim who I am. And he says this thing about Paul's mission in particular. Verse 16, he says, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. Okay, so so far, how many things has Paul seen Jesus in? Just one this bright, inescapable light from heaven. And from this vision, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive. He is a witness of the resurrection of Christ. Christ was publicly crucified. You can read about it in secular history. And now, after his public crucifixion, the Apostle Paul is seeing Jesus. So part of Jesus' mission for Paul is I want you to tell everybody, I'm alive. I'm not dead. And Paul can't deny it. Not only that, he says, I want you to be a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. So in the little book of Galatians, I'd encourage you to read it. I'm not going to preach on it right now or, or in the near future, but it's a fantastic book. Paul says, that he was not taught by anyone other than Christ. When you want to know what Christians think, you shouldn't just find a Christian, you should find the scriptures. Find someone like the Apostle Paul, who will tell you exactly what Jesus thinks, because Paul was taught by Christ. That's the mission of the apostles, to preserve the teachings of Jesus. And so we go again and again to the scriptures to find out what Jesus taught, and who Jesus is, and what we must believe. And so, when Jesus encounters Paul, 
Paul has no choice in his life but to follow the mission that Jesus has given him because he believes it's true. He says one other thing that I want to point to. If you go back a little bit to verse 14, the first thing that Jesus says to this man, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, at this time period, there were a couple of languages running around the ancient world, right? So if you live in Italy, you probably speak Latin. If you live in Jerusalem, you're probably going to speak Aramaic. And if you want to talk to anybody, you're probably going to speak Greek. So Paul has two names in the New Testament. He's got a Greek name and he's got a Hebrew-sounding name. So he is the Apostle Paul, but Jesus addresses him with his Hebrew name. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says this odd thing. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What he's talking about, a goad is a tool. It's basically just a stick with a point. You use this stick with a point to motivate your ox to move in the right direction. They don't have tractors. This is how farming happens. Sometimes the ox needed encouragement, and it sounds real mean, but they would just poke the ox with the goad, and the ox would be like, I hate that, and it would move. Jesus says, Paul, you're like a dumb ox. It's hard for you to resist what I'm calling you to. You're in pain, and you're angry, and you're consumed. He says by his own admission, he was full of rage as he persecuted Christians, as he thought they were stupid, as he wanted them dead because he believed that they were opposing God and he thought he was on a mission from God. And Jesus, in this divine light, opens his eyes, just like he did for the other apostles, so they understand what he taught and who he was, and he is about to lead Saul of Tarsus into genuine and true worship. The last thing I want to point out before we continue is verse 18. The mission that he gives him, not just to proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead. He says all of us have this spiritual blindness. All of us need this divine light to open our eyes to who Jesus is. And in one verse, he describes the goal of Christianity so that everyone who hears this message, you and I, turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How are you changed? It's not by a 12-step program. It's not by good advice. It's not by better habits. You're changed by faith in Christ. How do you receive the forgiveness of sins? It's not just by going around and apologizing to other people. Sometimes people won't forgive you. Sometimes people hold grudges. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But how do you receive the forgiveness of sins from the one who will judge you? The only one who truly matters. You receive forgiveness from sins through faith in Jesus Christ, who was publicly crucified, buried, and died, and who rose again and appeared to the Apostle Paul. This is the mission that Jesus gives Paul. And I want to say to you guys, sometimes those who follow Jesus can become discouraged. You can feel like, man, there's, there's just no hope. Like it seems like the churches are just shrinking all around the world, which, which by the way, isn't true. There are crazy revivals going on in places like Iran right now. There are places where the church is growing and bursting at the seams, and it's exciting. And, and I believe that God can do this here. 
Saints, let's pray for it. Let's long for it. Let's humble ourselves before God and ask him to do a work in our hearts, the same type of work that he's doing all over the world. But recognize this. Recognize this. It depends on the power of God. And nothing can resist God when God chooses to act. Paul, in all of his hardness of heart, in all of his anger, in all of his wrath, in all of his self-righteousness and his goodness, could not resist Jesus when Jesus said, stop right now. You are no longer going to persecute me. You are going to preach the message of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins all over the world. And Paul doesn't say, "Ah, can I take 24 hours and think about it? He doesn't doesn't try to negotiate. He doesn't try to do, he says, all right, I'm all in. And look at what happens in verse 19. We've seen Paul before Jesus. We've seen Paul meet Jesus. Now notice Paul preaching Jesus. He does what he said he would do. Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And to this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Remember what I said a minute ago? You've probably not had a heavenly vision from the sky where you're like, well, that was undeniable. You've heard different people talk about Christ. Maybe you've read the Bible for yourself, maybe not. You've known different people that have thought different things about him. And so you're like, where's my light? Where's my assurance? How can I know what to think and what to believe about Christ? Here's your answer. The light that you need might not be bright from heaven, but the light that you need is the message that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. Your hope is not in a better diet and exercise. It's not in finding the right counselor. It's not in having a better house or in any of those things. Your hope is in knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. Maybe you're here and you already believe this and you already think this, man, this message must be for somebody else. No, Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus, this message is for you. And here's why. Because we are so easily discouraged and distracted and we so easily forget how powerful the message of the gospel is. My prayer for you is that you be encouraged, that you would know whatever your fears are, Jesus is greater. Jesus can overcome them. He can, in a moment, change it all. And that is our hope, is that God is still in power and that the message of the gospel that we are proclaiming is the same message that Paul proclaimed, that Jesus rose again from the dead. This is the message that Paul preached. This is the message that we preached. And notice this little verse 22. As he's faced opposition and people try to kill him, you can read about that in in 2 Corinthians. He describes this laundry list of how many times he got dragged out of a city and and stoned, like with, with rocks. Not a pleasant experience that was relaxing. How many times he was shipwrecked and nearly drowned how difficult his life was in so many ways. 
And you'd think, Paul, maybe, maybe you're not supposed to be doing this. He never wavered. He never wavered. He was honest. He needed the prayers of his fellow Christians to encourage him. He, he needed their love and their support. But do you know how he says he kept going? He says, to this day, mind you, he's in chains, standing in front of a king who has the power of life or death over him. Okay, this is not like a great, like, you know, I finally arrived moment. He's on trial. And here's what he says about how he keeps going. He says, verse 22, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. He points again to what all of the scriptures say, that we need Jesus Christ, that we need a savior, we need a Messiah. It's my prayer that you know him, that you know him and that you love him and that you find the forgiveness of sins that he offers you and the hope of resurrection that because Christ has been raised, one day you will be raised as well. And so Paul describes the message that he preaches, but then he doesn't just leave it there. And this is one of the things that I love about Paul that I'm, that I'm learning from Paul. He makes it personal and he gives an invitation. So verse 24, we, so far this morning, we've seen Paul before he knew Jesus. We've seen Paul meeting Jesus. We've seen Paul preaching Jesus. Now I want to show you Paul invites you to believe. Verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. And many people would agree with him. He says, your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, O most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. And he was. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Now notice how personal he's made that. He looks the king in the eye and he says, I know you believe the prophets. Will you believe me about Christ? And I would ask you the same question. I began this message talking about Rosaria Butterfield because she's like a modern-day Paul. She hated the message of Jesus. And then when she heard the message as someone who was open to what God might, might think, even as she hated what it was doing inside her, she could no longer deny her need for a Savior. And maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now and you recognize you need the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers and so I would say to you, do you believe this message? Are you performing deeds in keeping with repentance? It's what Paul says he preaches as he tells others about Jesus. Don't just know things. Live consistently with what you know. Be baptized. Begin to worship with other Christians. Begin to spread the good news of what Jesus has done for you. So today, Rosaria Butterfield, her testimony is published in Christianity Today. She loves to tell people about her Savior. And I want to close with one more story. Uh, my friend James Bell is going to be preaching here Friday night. 
He is the only person in the world that I could ever say, man, I'm so glad somebody hit you on the head with a crowbar. Um, and, and it's true. Uh, when he was a young man, he was not raised in a Christian home. He knew next to nothing about the Bible. And he, he's kind of a beefy guy. He's a strong guy. He was a football player. He loved to play football and loved to work out and also loved all kinds of things that are terrible for you. He got involved in drugs a little bit and was not looking for God in any way, shape, or form. And one day, somebody literally hit him in the back of the head with a crowbar and knocked him out. He was bleeding on the ground. Somebody found him. Somebody took him to a hospital. And while he was in the hospital, this guy makes me think of Kenny Hall. For those of you guys who know Kenny Hall, Kenny Hall was a, a, a chaplain up at Genesis. Visited thousands of people. Loved to tell them about Jesus. Kenny Hall's another guy. He's high out of his mind in the streets of Detroit. And Jesus called him. Changed his life forever. Well, this guy comes to James Bell, who's lying flat on his back, just got hit in the head with a crowbar, and starts talking to him about Jesus. And James was an atheist. He didn't believe God existed. And he thought Christians were stupid. And he loved to argue with them. Well, he's lying fat on his back in a hospital bed. This guy said, man, I'm going to pray for you. He walked out, left, never came back. I said, James, do you, do you know that guy today? Said, nope, never been able to find him. Don't know his name, don't know who he is. All I know is he told me about Jesus. And for the first time in his life, he started to think, what if this is true? What if Jesus really did die for my sins and rise from the dead? What if I really do need to believe in Jesus and be saved? And he did. Today, he's a preacher of the gospel. His life was going one direction. And he was having some success, and all of a sudden he realized he needed Jesus. And he did a complete 180, turned around, and started following Christ. And I want to know if you've had that experience. If you've ever believed that Jesus is your Savior. If you say yes, praise God. Be encouraged by the power of the God you worship. But if not, would you make today the day that you confess that Jesus is Lord? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved? Would you pray with me now? Father, I thank you that you have been at work before you even created the world. It says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world was laid, that you demonstrated your love so much that you gave your son for us. And Father, I pray that you would call people to yourself right now. They would believe in your love. They would confess Jesus as Lord. Repent of their sins, turn from them, forsake them, and follow after Christ. Pray that your Holy Spirit would draw us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Soon and very soon, my King is coming, robed in righteousness and crowned with love. When I see him, I shall be made like him. Soon and very Hey.
Before I dismiss you today, if you're not sure that you know the Lord Jesus and you want to take the next step, if you're here in person, would you come talk to me before you leave? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up in front of everybody else, uh, but just talk to me before, before I leave today, okay? And if you're online, uh, if you don't have that opportunity, I just ask you, you can privately message the church. Uh, it's not going to be public, but you can go to our website, fbcholly.org, find a little contact us link, and just send me an email. Uh, nobody's going to see it but me. And I would encourage you to follow up if the Lord has been working in your heart and your life. Would love to help you know how you can be saved and just have some assurance. As I dismiss you, I want to leave you with a blessing. It's really kind of a prayer. It comes straight from the Bible. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.